Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. The national protests over the death of George Floyd have left San Francisco supervisor Shimon Walton hopeful, angry, and tired. Mostly, he's determined to see systemic reform in the San Francisco Police Department, including prohibiting the agency from hiring any officer found to have committed misconduct in a previous job. Supervisor Shimon Walton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Well, first, I just wanted to check in with you, see how you are. It's been a a really hard week for everybody, seeing all of these protests around the country after the killing of George Floyd, and wondered if you see any room for hopefulness, if you're angry, exhausted, all of the above. Well, definitely all of the above. Obviously, I'm, I'm very upset and angry to see another Black man die at the hands of law enforcement, another unarmed Black man, when it definitely could have and should have been avoided. I'm frustrated. Uh, but I never lose hope because I also see that there are things that we are going to be do from be able to do from a policy standpoint that will work to make sure that this never happens again. And in fact, I think some of the protests, uh, some of the uprising that you see, of course, minus the violence, of course, minus the looting, but some of what you see right now is uh, obviously push certain decisions to be made even quicker in this in this death and in this killing than we've seen before. And so people are coming together and working on tangible results and uh, options for change. So I am hopeful. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Why do you think this killing really captured the country's attention? Um, Is it just because we're in such a horrible time already with the pandemic and economic crisis? Um, Because we've seen so many videos like this over the years and it never seems to get better. Yeah, I think this one, uh, again, if you continue to add fuel to a fire, if you continue to stack uh, disparity on top of each other, uh, eventually things blow up. Uh, Obviously, cameras uh, have been very, very helpful in in, uh, catching law enforcement and people when they make mistakes and putting it out for the public to see so that it is less easy to hide and try to run away from it. So with the killing of George Floyd, uh, coupled with the things that have happened, whether it be Mario Woods, Oscar Grant, uh, Breonna Taylor, which happened very recently as well, also during the pandemic, those things stacked on top of each other have, have caused an uproar in communities. And people are tired of seeing officers basically get away with killing black men and people of color. And I think what this is leading to is the prosecution first, and of course, the incarceration of individuals in law enforcement that also commit crimes. They've been able to hide behind the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights. They've been able to hide behind the fact that they were on duty and the fact that there was a thought across this country that law enforcement should be given that deference if they make mistakes and some of the things they do lead to deaths. Well, it's actually a crime. And now people are beginning to see that the only way to address this is to prosecute and incarcerate when officers also commit crimes. 
Right. And I wanted to ask you specifically about the protests in San Francisco. Most of them have been peaceful, but there has been some looting and violence towards the end of the night over the weekend. And I wondered if you think some people say that's an understandable response to all of this, and some people think it crosses the line and should not happen, and those people should be arrested. Where do you stand? Well, first, I think the, I think the focus should be definitely on making sure that we understand that an unarmed Black man was killed in Minneapolis and that people are upset because this continued to happen without consequence. Obviously, I don't want anybody to be violent. I don't want anybody harmed during the protests, and I don't want the destruction of property. And so that is not something we condone or support. We do condone protests. We do condone people getting out and speaking their mind and fighting for change, because uh, that is very important. And in fact, without the protests, without us getting out there in communities and demonstrating how upset we are, how we won't tolerate this. You don't see the level of change at the speed that it should be. But no, we definitely don't condone violence and we don't condone people getting out and destroying property. Uh, and that's something that we've been vocal about and clear about. But we also are clear about that some another black man died. It's a tragedy and this should never happen again. Do you think that the people coming in to loot are, are outsiders, as some people are saying, that just kind of want to stir the pot or take advantage of the situation? Well, I think it's, it's probably combinations of folks coming from everywhere um, into communities and obviously taking advantage of this disheartening situation and, and the tragedy that happened. You're always going to have people who are going to take advantage of the circumstances. And that's what we see with some of the looting, not only here in San Francisco, but across the bridge in Oakland and even across the country. And that's just like uh, people also trying to control the narrative. Uh, and not really focusing on the issue at hand. A lot of people want to come in, control the narrative, and make it something of their own, and take advantage of this time of anxiety and frustration, which is something that we need to make sure uh, we fight and make sure people focus on the real issue is that another Black man has died at the hands of law enforcement, unarmed. This cannot continue to happen. We need policies and laws in place to make sure that we protect community from this ever happening. And what have you thought of Mayor Breed's nightly 8 p.m. curfew? Is that the right decision? She also said that the National Guard will remain on standby. Um, do you support those moves? Well, that, those are one of the things that, you know, it's always concerning for me when we give law enforcement a certain latitude and say you can do things at your discretion. Um, I think that we wanted to respond quickly and effectively to make sure that we don't have people destroying property in here in San Francisco, looting and committing other violent acts. Um, I don't know if we should have an indefinite curfew, and, and that's something that um, I'm trying to have a conversation with the mayor and uh, law enforcement leadership here in San Francisco. I want to do everything we can, of course, to keep people safe, but curfews also create an opportunity for contact with law enforcement, and once you have a situation and scenario right now where people are already upset with law enforcement, Tensions are high. I'm not sure that we need to put something else in place that could increase the opportunity for negative contact with community and law enforcement. Uh, and so that's something that I'm still having conversations about. I know there have been arrests that have been made as a result of the curfew and trying to get the data and information in terms of what's been warranted. Uh, you know, anytime we put something in place that says this is at the discretion of any human being, it could be problematic. And so trying to get more data and information so we can make a decision 
uh, in our role to do what's best for our city. It seems like a double whammy for some small businesses, which are closing up by like 630 so that workers can get home before curfew when they've already been out of business for months because of shelter in place. So I'm hearing some pushback on that. Yeah, I mean, those are negative impacts, obviously, for uh, economic negative impacts. They're uh, criminal justice negative impacts. Uh, we've been doing testing in Bayview, Sunnydale, Viz Valley, and also we'll be doing more tomorrow in Bayview. And we stop at seven o'clock. And so even volunteers and medical professionals, we're putting up tents and storing them. Um, it's going to go past eight o'clock. Obviously, we've been talking to our law enforcement leaders about that. But there are so many things we're all trying to do and be compassionate to address the negative impacts of the pandemic, as well as the negative impacts of the unrest that exists because of the killing of George Floyd and other uh, people of color at the hands of law enforcement, that we're all trying to do the best thing and make sure we can protect everyone. But we gotta just be careful of some of the negative consequences that could come from some of the strategies we, we, we employ. And I know that you and District Attorney Jason Odin have announced a resolution to prohibit the hiring of law enforcement officers with prior sustained findings of misconduct. Can you explain the importance of that? Yeah, I mean, it's just one step uh, going to, towards trying to do everything we can to make sure that we don't end up with individuals who have mistreated community, have committed harm, have, uh, have had several complaints of excessive force and misconduct and other police departments, other sheriff's departments across the Bay. Uh, because it is so hard to get personnel files and find out the um, information about people who have high levels of misconduct, uh, sometimes when they can end up in police forces or sheriff's department and other municipalities. So our call is for the Civil Service Commission to do everything they can to make sure that we have protocols in place to never hire anyone that has uh, certain complaints of misconduct or excessive force. We don't want them in our law enforcement bodies here in San Francisco, uh, wherever they come from. Uh, this is just one small step, it's a resolution. Obviously, if we had the time and we weren't past the deadline, this would be a charter amendment. But hopefully the Civil Service Commission will step up, do the right thing, put those protocols in place. I think it's the least we can do is make sure that we're not hiring people that uh, get to sneak away from certain complaints and certain lawsuits and go to another city and they're, uh, they're protected because of certain policies in place right now. I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be right back with Supervisor Shimon Walton. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm back with Supervisor Walton. Is there anything else you think needs to happen in terms of the SFPD and reduction of use of force or any systemic change you'd like to see beyond that? Definitely. There are other things we're working on. We're having conversations about if you know, there are lawsuits, uh, who actually pays out. Um, should the police department pay out of their own budget from now on instead of the city, city's general fund? Um, you know, officers who have high numbers of excessive force and uh, misconduct right now, what should we do with them uh, as we move forward? We know that the individual who killed George Floyd in Minneapolis had 
um, dozens or at least a dozen plus complaints of excessive force and misconduct. Uh, and we see what happened. He held his knee on someone's neck for over eight minutes that was handcuffed and laying on the ground. So we want to avoid that here in San Francisco. Uh, we've seen uh, in one incident something similar. Um, there's something that has come out. I'm actually doing more research on that incident that happened here in the city. But we want to make sure we do everything we can to protect our communities. And that goes for protecting our community from bad actors in law enforcement, bad actors in community, bad actors across the board. And this policy and some other things we're going to be looking into will focus on doing just that keeping people safe. Uh, speaking of the video you just referenced here in San Francisco, have you seen it? It, sh- it appears to show a female officer uh, also putting her knee on the neck of a young African-American man. I've, I've seen pictures. I haven't seen the video yet. Um, and, you know, I, it typically takes a minute for me to get myself to a point where I can watch things like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, as much as we see, as much as we deal with in our roles, there are things that are still very sensitive to me. And so I have to be in the right mind frame and in the right time and place to sit down and process uh, things like that. And so I will, of course, watch it uh, and um, continue to do as much research as I can to come up with policies that are going to keep us all safe and hold law enforcement accountable. Do you think that the public uh, or excuse me, the Police Officers Association is a part of the problem here because they seem politically to be quite out of step from the average San Franciscan? I would say that uh, our police officers association doesn't do anything that brings people together when we have incidences where officers have made mistakes and there has been uh, something that has happened to community uh, at the hands of law enforcement. I think the POA is, has lost touch uh, with us in San Francisco in terms of how we feel about working together and the things we need to do to protect everyone and hold law enforcement accountable. I think it's unfortunate um, and it's very disheartening because obviously I am someone who supports labor and wants to make sure that all employees um, get a fair shake and are treated treated appropriately. But the POA puts out racist publications. Uh, they put out um, racist statements. Um, they've done things to me personally that uh, are reflective of their racist views and their views that uh, support being inequitable. And it's unfortunate. Um, I wish that they thought differently because they are the entity and the body that is put in place to make sure that officers, uh, are their, their employment rights are protected. But they choose to create division between law enforcement and city leadership and community. And that's problematic, whatever your role is. What have they done to you personally? Well, I mean, they, you know, they either put statements out or they put out a cartoon character of me and Supervisor Fuhrer and Supervisor Ronan and uh, Police Commissioner John Hamasaki because we didn't agree. And, um, you know, you can look at that as racist and sexist. I mean, obviously, there are other members of the Board of Supervisors who feel the way I do about the POA and feel the way I do about uh, making sure we get our unhoused population in the hotels. They choose uh, to pick minorities uh, and women only um, and, and their negative depiction. Hmm. But it's their, it, you know, it, that, that's the way they operate. And so, it's just unfortunate that, uh, again, they want to put fuel to a fire versus saying, let's figure out ways to work together. Because if we're all in the business of protecting our residents and keeping people safe, then there are ways to be productive to do that, even, we don't, even when we don't agree. And um, 
the killing of George Floyd has prompted a lot of black men around the country to share stories of what it's like just to even go for a walk in their own neighborhood or go for a drive or do something very innocuous that a white person wouldn't think twice about and, you know, what they may encounter just doing that, the stairs or people clutching their purses or going across the street. Do you experience that kind of thing in San Francisco? We like to think that we're better than the rest of the country, but I'm sure in a lot of ways we're not. I've definitely experienced it here in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. I mean, obviously, being a board of supervisors and being more publicly known, um, those incidences are less lessened for me. Uh, I have sons, I have nephews, I have young cousins who are, of course, Black men uh, who have to walk in our communities, drive in our communities. And, you know, my wife was just having a conversation with one of her friends this morning and talking about being put over and having to tell the boys to be completely still, don't make a, a false move. And, you know, one of my, my younger sons made a move to grab uh, her license and she lost it um, because she was so scared of that movement. And so it is very real for my family. It's very real uh, for our communities in terms of how we have to be and how we have to behave around law enforcement, even as law abiding residents and, and folks who obviously aren't out to, to mean anyone harm. And it, it, it's a scary feeling. It's always been that case. Anytime a police car gets behind me, there's a certain level of anxiety because I have been pulled over um, for no reason in the past. And those things don't leave you. And, you know, we've seen several videos, several instances, uh, not only here in, in our, our own city, but across the country, as to why you would have that feeling uh, towards law enforcement if you're a Black man, a Black person, or, or a person of color. Have you had to have that talk with your kids? Definitely, uh, definitely. The, you know, gave the one example of even an actual incident happening with my wife and, 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 and the boys. But uh, we have those conversations all the time, how to respond to law enforcement, what to do uh, when, when you're approached by a police officer. Our main goal, of course, is for you to be alive. It's not about being right. It's about being alive. You can always remember a badge number. You can always take those things, pay attention to those clues, and we can report and respond later. But I want you to be safe and be alive. So do that interaction, answer questions, um, but do not do anything that's going to put you in harm's way, which is unfortunate. You should be able to ask questions. You should be able to uh, find out what's going on and why you're being approached. Uh, but that could be life and death for a, a Black man or a person of color. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. And I know you've got to run to a meeting. So I appreciate you joining me today on Fifth Admission. Thank you for uh, bringing this to light and having this conversation. Heather, appreciate you. Thank you to Supervisor Shimon Walton for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. Fifth Admission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.